This is the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast, the podcast that aims to start conversations about the oneness and unity of God and about the humanity of Jesus. And today, folks, we will certainly help you to have some very interesting conversations because we are looking at the topic of Old Testament Yahweh text for Jesus, an introduction. This is episode 181. My name is Dustin Smith, and as always, I will be your host. Thank you so much for joining us this week at the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. In this week's episode, we will begin exploring how the New Testament authors felt comfortable using Old Testament passages about Yahweh, the God of Israel, for the human Jesus. Now, this is a big topic, and it is one that biblical Unitarians do not typically talk about. Maybe they're not even familiar with the fact that the New Testament authors do perform this practice of using Yahweh text for Jesus. It does, however, deserve careful study and a persuasive answer that takes into account all of the evidence. So for the next few episodes, at least the next three, we'll be looking at this topic of how the New Testament authors felt that they were comfortable using passages from the Old Testament about Yahweh for the human Jesus in the New Testament. Does this practice indicate that the New Testament authors believed that Jesus was to be seen and identified as Yahweh himself? Or are there other ways to read the evidence that does not forget the fact that these authors were genuine monotheists? Let's find out on this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Our first point today is a sampling of the Old Testament Yahweh text used in the New Testament for Jesus. Now, there are quite a few, but I'm just going to give a couple of the stronger, more persuasive pieces of evidence in order to demonstrate this point that the New Testament authors did cite Yahweh text in regard to Jesus. Now, what that evidence actually means is going to be something we're going to be looking at, but I need to demonstrate the initial point from the get-go. So, Paul in Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved, Romans 10, 13. But Paul is citing Joel, chapter 2, verse 32, which says, it will come about that whoever calls on the name of Yahweh will be saved. So Paul is deliberately citing an Old Testament Yahweh text from Joel, and he's using it for people calling upon the name of Jesus as Lord. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 9-10, through 10, Paul says, Therefore God also highly exalted him and gave to him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That's Philippians 2, verses 9-11. through 11. And scholars indicate that Paul is drawing upon Isaiah 45, verse 23, which was a Yahweh text where Yahweh himself speaks in the first person and says, I have sworn by myself, the word has gone forth from my mouth in righteousness and will not turn back 
that to me every knee will bow, every tongue will swear allegiance. Isaiah 45, verse 23. So we have a passage from Isaiah 45 where Yahweh speaks about every knee bowing and every tongue swearing fidelity to Yahweh, and that is cited by Paul in reference to Jesus as the one to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. A third example, and one that we will look at a little bit more closely towards the end of this week's episode, is in the opening verses of Mark's Gospel. In the first three verses of Mark chapter 1, we can see the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah, See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. That's Mark chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. And we have this citation here in Mark 1, verse 3, which comes out of Isaiah chapter 40 in verse 3, which is a Yahweh text. And Isaiah 40, verse 3, it says, A voice cries out, in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. So Isaiah says, prepare the way for Yahweh and make way a path for our God. But Mark quotes it in regard to Jesus. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his paths straight. That Lord there formerly referred to Yahweh, but in Mark's gospel, it is a reference now to Jesus. Now, there's a lot of nuancing that could be given with these examples, and each of them are a little bit different, but this is just a sampling of places to where the New Testament authors felt comfortable citing Old Testament Yahweh passages for the human Jesus in the New Testament. And in doing so, these authors continue to express their fidelity to monotheism. They would say that they believe only in one God, and they would describe that one God with singular pronouns. So they're unitary monotheists. They believe that God is one person. So the real question is, what are these New Testament authors doing by taking Old Testament Yahweh passages and using them for Jesus? Well, there have been some scholars in what has been deemed the Early High Christology Club. It's just an informal name for scholars that think that the evidence for High Christology is not something that developed over time in the Christian centuries, but was something that was already there very early in the New Testament, in the writings of Paul, but also they would argue in the Gospels as well. And so these authors would suggest that by the New Testament authors citing Old Testament Yahweh passages for Jesus, that Jesus is in some sense being identified as Yahweh. I think that that doesn't make a lot of sense, and I think that there are some better readings for this. But what I want to demonstrate for our second point before we go any further is that this particular practice, and I think this is extremely important, so please focus. This practice of citing Yahweh passages for persons that are not Yahweh was not something that the New Testament authors invented. 
In fact, this was a practice that can already be discerned in Second Temple Judaism, which would indicate that the New Testament authors are continuing a tradition that was already acceptable within Judaism. They were not inventing a particular exegetical practice that was new and novel and cavalier. So let's move to our second point. Point number two is the Old Testament Yahweh text used of qualified human beings in Second Temple Judaism. Now I owe these particular points to Daniel Kirk. I saw them in an argument that he made in his book, A Man Attested by God, which is an excellent book. It's probably one of my top five books that I would recommend in regard to Christology for interested readers. And so he is going to give us evidence of two places that we found in the Qumran scrolls where a Yahweh passage was used of other human beings, obviously that are not Yahweh, and they are used in authoritative ways. So the first passage is drawing out of Hosea chapter 5. In Hosea chapter 5, I'm going to start in verse 14 just to kind of give the listener here the context of what's actually taking place. So Hosea chapter 5, starting in verse 14, it says, For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear to pieces and go away. I will carry away, and there will be none to deliver. I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face. In their affliction, they will earnestly seek me. As Hosea chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. Clearly, this is Yahweh speaking in the first person. They are going to seek Yahweh's face. They are going to seek after Yahweh. And Yahweh is going to enact judgment upon these sinners. Now, in the Qumran document that has been labeled 4Q167, that's 4Q167, this document cites Hosea chapter 5 and verse 14, and then it gives its own authoritative interpretation of this passage. So in 4Q167, it cites Hosea 5.14, and then it says, quote, Its interpretation concerns the last priest who will stretch out his hand to strike Ephraim. Now that's very interesting. I don't know if you caught that. In the Hosea passage, Yahweh says that he is going to be a lion to Ephraim and that he is going to tear them to pieces. No one's going to be able to deliver. And Yahweh is the one that is enacting this. But the Qumran text from the Dead Sea Scrolls says that this actually is in reference to the last priest who himself will stretch out his hand to strike Ephraim. So there we have a Yahweh passage from the Old Testament that is used and interpreted to refer to someone who is not Yahweh. It is someone who is regarded as this eschatological, end times priestly figure who is going to be doing the things that are formally said of Yahweh. And again, in Hosea chapter 5, it is Yahweh speaking in the first person. So that's very interesting. There we have a human being 
who is regarded as the authoritative interpretation of something that Yahweh himself is saying in the first person. Now, it's unlikely that the Qumran Jews thought that this final end times high priest was the incarnation of Yahweh. They thought that this high priest was someone who would function as an agent of Yahweh. He is performing God's actions and bearing God's prerogatives. Here's another passage from the Qumran scrolls that cites a Yahweh passage in regard for a human being. But I think it's important that for the second example, we start with the passage from the Hebrew Bible and then look at how it's interpreted. So this passage is actually going to be drawing from Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. This will be a familiar passage for those that are accustomed to Luke chapter 4 and Jesus' sermon. So in Isaiah 61, starting in verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because Yahweh has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of Yahweh, and the day of vengeance of our God. It's Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 2. So there we have this spirit-empowered person proclaiming the favorable year of Yahweh, which is the day of vengeance of our God. So clearly Yahweh is our God, but we have that phrase, the favorable year of Yahweh. Now in this second document from Qumran, which has been titled 11Q Melchizedek, because it comes out of Cave 11, and it is a document that is about Melchizedek, this enigmatic figure from the early chapters of Genesis. But the Qumran community thought that Melchizedek was also going to be an end times figure. But in regard to this Isaiah passage, this passage 11Q Melchizedek says that it is time for the favorable year of Melchizedek. I don't know if you caught that, but the passage from Qumran, 11Q Melchizedek, takes the passage from Isaiah 61, which talked about the favorable year of Yahweh, and says that this is the favorable year of Melchizedek. Clearly, Melchizedek there is taking the role and the function of Yahweh. And it's clear that that would mean that Melchizedek is enacting the things that Yahweh is supposed to do. Melchizedek is functioning as an agent of Yahweh. These Qumran Jews did not think that Melchizedek was Yahweh, but Melchizedek was certainly a highly empowered and authorized human being who would perform God's functions in the final days. So there we have two pieces of evidence from Second Temple Judaism, probably a hundred years before the New Testament documents were written, where Yahweh texts were used of human beings who were not Yahweh. And that's very interesting. These Jews that were writing these texts, these Qumran documents, did not think that these end times last priest or Melchizedek himself were to be identified as Yahweh. 
No, these people were functioning as agents of Yahweh. And that is the best way to interpret at least these particular passages that were Old Testament Yahweh passages used for persons other than Yahweh. So fast forward from these Qumran documents 100 years into the future, we now have the references in the New Testament where these Christians are now citing Yahweh passages for Jesus. And now that we have the context established for us, we can understand that this practice was there in ways that were not intending to identify the new referent as Yahweh, but perhaps to identify him as an agent. Now, I want to make clear before we go any further that I don't think that all of the New Testament passages that cite Yahweh text for Jesus can be interpreted simply in terms of agency. I think that works for some of them. I don't think it works for all of them. So you have to take each reference individually. Some authors will have one particular interpretive practice. Other authors will have a different interpretive practice. And although it might sound appealing to just give a simple one-sentence answer that would try to explain all the evidence, that typically is not how the data works. The data is typically nuanced and sometimes messy. So let's move on to our third and final point, which is a test case in the opening of Mark's Gospel. I wanted to kind of focus on Mark's Gospel as just a familiar passage that talks about the introduction of Jesus and see probably how Mark thinks that the citation of a Yahweh passage for the human Jesus is to be understood by his readers. So let me read the passage again from the opening verses of Mark. First three verses, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet Isaiah. See, I am sending my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. That's Mark 1, verses 1 through 3. And it's Mark chapter 1, verse 3, which cites deliberately Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3 which says, in the wilderness, prepare the way of Yahweh. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now it's clear as Mark continues in his first chapter, in the first 11 verses, that this messenger that comes ahead is a reference to John the Baptist. And he is the one crying out in the wilderness, saying, prepare the way for the Lord. So the Lord is a reference to Jesus, but the messenger is John the Baptist. That is a pretty clear reading of how Mark chapter 1 unfolds, and that's pretty non-controversial. That's pretty much what all commentators of Mark are saying about this. I think that's a natural reading of the passage. But the fact remains that Mark is citing Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, which is a Yahweh passage in reference to Jesus. So we have the messenger who cries in the wilderness, being John the Baptist. He is talking about the way of Yahweh, the way of the Lord, and that is clearly applied to Jesus. And the passage even goes on, and it says to make his path straight. Make his path straight, referring to the paths of Yahweh. Now, as the passage goes on, we get a little bit more evidence 
in regard to Jesus and to how Jesus is introduced in the scene, in the narrative, that can help us to understand what Mark is actually doing with the citation and perhaps the interpretation that Mark wants his readers to walk away with. So we see Jesus is baptized and he is anointed in Mark chapter 1 and verse 11. And at the anointing, Jesus is described as the Son of God. In fact, this is authoritative. The voice from heaven says, you are my son, meaning that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, Son of God is a title for the Israelite king, the Messianic king. And of course, to be the Messiah is the one who is anointed. Jesus is baptized in water. He receives the Spirit, and he is thereby anointed. And God authoritatively tells Mark's readers that Jesus is the Son of God. Now Jesus is anointed for his role and his position. Now those that are familiar with the Israelite king from the Hebrew Bible, from the Old Testament, they will know that the Israelite king represented God, and they represented God's rule on earth. In fact, they were the human beings that were to rule on God's behalf over God's creation. And so the Israelite king within Jewish theology, very much so, was an agent of God. That's kind of our first sub-point, is that as the Son of God, Jesus would be identified as the Israelite king, which was a known and recognized agent who ruled on behalf of God. Along the same lines, this is sub-point B, Jesus is endowed with God's Spirit when he is baptized by John in the Jordan. And as a spirit-empowered individual, Jesus is going to evoke images of other spirit-enabled persons from the Hebrew Bible, all of whom performed important tasks and functions on God's behalf. Think of the spirit-empowered prophets who spoke authoritatively on God's behalf and sometimes performed miracles and signs. We've also talked about the Israelite king, and sometimes the Israelite king is described as bearing the Spirit of God to do empowered feats and acts. There's also authority behind someone who bears the Spirit of God. If they're speaking in light of the Spirit of God, then they have authority behind them. That's what we can see with the prophets in the Hebrew Bible. And of course, the spirit-empowered kings also bear that authority. But the point remains is that all of these pieces of evidence indicate that the newly baptized Jesus is empowered and authorized as a spirit-enabled agent of God, arguably likened as a prophet. And so these points suggest that Mark regarded Jesus fulfilling the role of Yahweh in the manner of an agent. In other words, Mark seems to apply this Old Testament Yahweh text from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3, to Jesus because Jesus is the messianic and spirit-enabled agent of Yahweh. And this is confirmed within Mark's gospel with the abundant 
references to Jesus being distinguished from God, indicating that Mark was not confusing Jesus and Yahweh, nor was Mark collapsing Jesus and Yahweh into the same being. This is how I think Mark wanted his readers to understand the Yahweh passage used for Jesus, because Jesus is the end times eschatological prophet, eschatological king, and the eschatological son, who would represent Yahweh in the form of an agent, a spirit-empowered agent, a royal agent. That's what I think Mark is doing with his Yahweh text that he cites in regard to Jesus. So, in conclusion, we have observed that the authors of the New Testament felt comfortable using Yahweh text for Jesus. And this point should be readily acknowledged. But the data needs to be interpreted on an individual level. There are some scholars in the early high Christology club that think that the New Testament authors citing Yahweh text for Jesus indicates that they identified Jesus with Yahweh. This is very problematic for common sense as well as the meaning of monotheism. Number two, we observe that there are a few pieces of evidence in Judaism prior to Christianity where pious monotheists would use Yahweh texts from the Hebrew Bible to refer to a human agent who would carry out the role and function of Yahweh. The examples from Qumran indicated that the human priest, as well as an eschatological Melchizedek figure, were understood to be genuine interpretations for the name of God, for Yahweh himself. This indicates that the practice exhibited by the New Testament authors who use Yahweh text for Jesus was not new, created, novel, or cavalier. Instead, the practice observed by the New Testament authors was a practice that is already observable in Second Temple Judaism in a manner that was allowed and tolerated. Finally, our third conclusion is that we were able to look at the opening of Mark's Gospel, which is a test subject for seeing how the New Testament authors might be using these Old Testament Yahweh texts for someone other than Yahweh, namely Jesus. Mark cites Isaiah chapter 40 and verse 3, which is a Yahweh passage for Jesus. But the introduction of Jesus has many indicators that he is acting as an agent of Yahweh. Jesus is anointed as the Messianic king, who is an agent who rules on behalf of Yahweh. Furthermore, Jesus is given the Spirit, making him an empowered and authorized agent, not unlike the former prophetic figures. It seems that Mark applies a Yahweh text for Jesus because Jesus is the agent of Yahweh, not because Jesus is to be identified as Yahweh. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of the Biblical Unitarian Podcast. Please tune in next week as we look at Paul's 
use of Old Testament Yahweh passages for Jesus? Is there a discernible strategy for understanding why Paul thought that this exegetical move was appropriate in light of his own monotheism? Is agency the best interpretation of Paul's exegetical strategy? Or is Paul doing something a little more sophisticated? Please look forward to our next episode. Now, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and support us as we promote the sound truths of the oneness and unity of God and the humanity of Jesus. Please share your favorite episodes, tell your friends about the podcast, and if you'd like to offer a donation, you may check out the episode's description for a link to PayPal. The Biblical Unitarian Podcast is produced and edited by Dustin Williams. It is hosted by Dustin Smith. Until next time, you folks, please take care.